1: This is episode 249 being recorded on Monday, December 7th, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back,
2: Jason Scott Show listeners. Jason, we are officially a week past Cyber Monday uh, and reports of Shipageddon are pouring into the Jason and Scott Show virtual mailbox. Our interns are working full-time parsing through everything. So we appreciate everyone filling us in. Uh is also picking up a lot of momentum with the Main Street press. We've seen Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, New York Times, Women's Wear Daily, your favorite, Jason, payments and one of my personal favorites, Supply and Demand Chain Executive Magazine. I'm gonna put that one on the mantle. Um uh it, it, so so you know, a lot going on there in the press. So to capture all these resources, we've published a little document that kind of highlights all the different uh, hits, if you will, that Shipageddon's getting. You can find that at jasonscott.com or a link in the show notes. So uh, today's show, uh, we are going to get a strategic update on Shipageddon. And we are excited to have uh, the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of ShipBob, Casey Armstrong, on the show. Welcome, Casey.
1: Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, Casey, uh, we are really grateful. It's super early in the morning uh, where you are while we're recording this. So we we appreciate that. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I think I hear the sounds of data being calculated behind you.
0: It's crunching in the background, you know? In in in, in the closets.
1: I love it. That's what we call a teaser, because we're not gonna get to what that <laughs> is just yet. Um but as as longtime listeners of the show will know, we always like to start by getting a little bit of background about our guests and how they kind of came to this awesome commerce space. So could you tell us a little bit about um, your background and how you came to ShipBob? Yeah.
0: Um, So I'm the CMO, as you said, over at ShipBob. Uh, Before ShipBob, I was actually uh, the VP of marketing over at Big Commerce, who I'm sure your listeners are very familiar with. Um, And before that, I uh, helped run a company called Watchmaster, where we were a luxury watch brand primarily sold over in Europe. And um, I'd say I'd say there is what really cemented uh, my views of the pain of logistics and inventory management. We were really good at, we, we grew very quickly. We got to tens of millions um, within our first year. Um, so we did a lot of things well, shipping logistics and inventory management were uh, things that we de- didn't necessarily do well. And when your average order value is you know, five or 6,000 euros, um, you need to do that well and so um again really shed a light on the, the pains of logistics and um was one of the many catalysts to get me over to ship bob
2: speaking of ship bob um let's dig into that so first of all explain to folks i think jason and i have a pretty good handle on what ship bob is but um who's this bob guy and what does he ship <laughs>
0: uh the, the bob guy is uh Remember when I was checking out ShipBob, I'm like, who? What? That's a pretty funny name over there. Um, and it, it actually, if you hit any of our 404 pages to get really nerdy, um, they it's a, it's a nice play on Bob. I should wear my Bob shirt right now. Um, so Ship Bob, we bring you know Amazon level shipping and logistics to um, small business, you know, e-commerce brands. Uh, we have uh, 12 fulfillment centers um, around the world, including one in Canada and one in Europe. Um, we can get into later the importance of having this, this network of fulfillment centers um, and distributed inventory if helpful, but long story short, it's always nice to be closer to the end consumer because it's faster for you, it's faster for them, and it's cheaper, cheaper for both parties as well. Um, we'll open up another three to five in um, Q1 of next year as well. We help support about 4,000 customers today, and we'll ship well over 10 million orders this year.
2: Cool. And then um, tell us what what's your typical client. You know, Jason and I spend a ton of time talking about digitally native vertical brands, direct to consumer brands. So I imagine that's a pretty good slice of what you do, but you know, maybe there's uh, retailers, maybe there's other folks I haven't thought about in there.
0: Our focus is, is definitely uh, direct to consumer. And I think that's what's put us in a great position um, as, as our company, as a standalone company today. Um, and it's also what's really helped put our customers in a great position to, um, you know, navigate COVID in 2020. And so it's definitely direct to consumer. We are uh, platform and channel agnostic. So we have people selling across, you know, the Shopify's and big commerce's and Wix's of the world, uh, you know, even through Amazon and, and eBay and Facebook shop and everything.
2: Yeah. just to make sure everyone kind of is clear here, because we're going to talk about, um, you know, all these different legs of things. So, so let's say Jason and I, um, there's this huge demand for our tumblers. Um, <laughs> we manufacture them somewhere. We, we come up with a manufacturing partner in China. Um, then we we have them shipped in bulk to you and then you. Um, uh I'm going to say this, and you tell me if I get anything wrong. Then, you know, let's say we send them to, a, I don't know, a California facility. Then you guys distribute them through your network. And then, as the consumer in Maine orders a tumbler, they get the closest fulfillment center. The consumer in Seattle orders one; they get a closer fulfillment center. Um, but you guys do not do the last mile delivery, right? You're you're using carriers, so you're you're that fulfillment center network in the middle. Is that is that the right characterization?
0: Yes, that's that's a great characterization. Yeah, you know, we don't we're not we're not last mile. Um, right now for the most part, for most of our customers, um, they choose which fulfillment center they would like to utilize or fulfillment centers. And so before anybody starts with us, you know, we, we analyze all of their shipping data, uh, which of course learns over time as well. Um, but they can, at the end of the day, also just choose which fulfillment center they utilize. Um, you know, we give them the data for the re- for a reason. And then even within ship Bob every day, you can just in our analytics section, you can just click a couple buttons and and start seeing how much time and money you'd save by distributing it to other select centers. Yeah,
2: one other, I've been poking around your site a lot, and I do like, uh, I'm going to give you uh, the unofficial Jason Scott Show most awesome um, 404 page because there's also a Star Wars tie-in, and I don't want to spoil (laughs) it for folks, but um, if you can just go to any random page, like uh, you could just do Scott or Jason or something, shipbob.com slash, and then you'll find, I recommend
0: checking out the 401 page. Nice, I'm going to have to get a, a Jason and Scott page on there.
1: I was gonna say, wait, Jason is a four hundred four error? I feel like everyone should have a Jason page. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when you're ship bob, you gotta stick to the gotta stick to the bob.
1: Well let's uh speaking of the bob, um one of the things that uh is very handy from my perspective about your company is so obviously you guys ship via a lot of the common carriers, uh, and you publish data about how those carriers are performing. Like how, how did that come about?
0: So our, our CEO, or I should say both of our founders, um, Drew Saxena and Dave Galati, they're they are very open um, and just transparent with our organization. And I think that just really trickles down. Um, and some of that came with some of the carrier tracking data. And so we were discussing this um, internally on our side. And we, get, we were getting asked this all the time from different partners of ours. and And then one day Drew was like, hey, why don't we just publish this? Uh, which was honestly all the thumbs up that we needed. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a casual ask, and uh, it was it was a Friday. I don't know when this was, probably sometime in early Q3. And so, uh, a colleague of mine and I were like, "Okay, let's jump all over this." We pulled in somebody on the analytics team, and um, later that day, the V1 of this was published. And so, you know, we, we saw the, um, the the thumbs up there and decided to get this out there. And ever, ever since we published it, we we knew that. People would want to consume it, but it's just been great to see the reception of it. How people are, are often citing and referring to it. Um, it's it's always interesting to see the people that sign up to get access to to our updates as well. Um, but and when we published, I think it was like right when COVID hit, we published our our trends piece at, at trends.shipbob.com, which showed a breakdown of um, all the uh, a lot of the main verticals, and that did really well. Um, and starting getting shared a lot. And so we're like, okay, how can we continue to open up some of our data, which of course we share with, with our customers and and with my fellow colleagues, but just open this up for the masses. And so honestly, I had some concern about what, how would the carriers react. And I don't know, maybe there's some uh, n- non-public conversations we can have about how they've reacted to some of the data we've put out there. Um, but, you know, we wanted to throw it out there and, and I really want to get some geo data live shortly as well. It's um, really cool to see like which states and areas are are, are order spiking, especially as different COVID news comes in. Um, and even to, you know, which uh, which states are spending the most on e-commerce and um, maybe the most per capita. Just just a lot of very interesting data out there.
2: Cool. So, um so the just so for listeners, I think you said it, but I'll just re-say it in case. Uh, it's carriers uh, with a plural dot shipbob.com is the page. Um, one thing I find distracting about the page is you have this cool truck animation, and sometimes I just get stuck watching the truck animation. I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know, there's something about that 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 uh, I, I don't, I forget to scroll. I just am watching the little trucks race each other. <laughs> um, the so first of all, if we so so you said 10 million orders, um, and that was annually, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if we kind of like a million orders a month, kind of on, on average, I guess, and, and it, you know, I imagine you guys are growing pretty rapidly. So there's kind of a tilt to that line up into the right, um, uh, hopefully. Uh, and, you know, so can you tell us uh, like a pie chart, like who are the biggest shippers that that you guys have? Um, just so we can start there.
0: Yeah. So. It's, it's a lot of the, the major carriers. It's FedEx, USPS, UPS, and DHL. Those are by far our top four. Um, we work with you know subsidiaries of, of those carriers and we also work with local carriers. Um, that's something that we started in uh, Q2 of this year, or I should say accelerated, um, especially with some of just the carrier demands. Um, but those are by far our top our top shippers.
2: Okay, And when your clients come to you, like, let's say the Jason and Scott Tumblr store, when we come to you, do we say, hey, we have a relationship with FedEx and we're going to you know, go with them? Or do you guys have, because you ship so much volume, you can probably get a better rate than us individually. Do you put, put people kind of on their own, like a ship Bob shipping program that has a certain flavor or is it a hybrid? So some have direct relationships, some are kind of where you're in the middle.
0: We're, we're always in the middle. And so you'll you'll always use our account. Um, and so, like you mentioned, not only does that help you from like a pricing standpoint, because obviously we're shipping a lot more than most people, uh, but also, I mean, there's a lot of other benefits as well, such as you know, our negotiations on our behalf are also on your behalf. And so, a great examples with as you guys keep um, you know sharing, ship uh and some of the carriers. Limiting, you know, not just small businesses, but, you know, I know there's a big story in Wall Street Journal and UPS limiting Nike, Gap, Macy's. Um, Every single customer of ours would have to be negotiating their limits with the carrier or carriers of their choice. And again, so we're doing that on on their behalf. And we have our network uh, to distribute and move these goods around and so they get to take advantage of that as well. And so that's been that's been I know another huge win that we don't necessarily share with our customer base too much. Um, but you know that's one of the things that people have been able to to I'd say better navigate uh shipageddon over the last couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, so so by aggregating all these kind of individual small folks, you're bigger than Nike or somebody. Um, yeah, so so therefore you you have a little bit more heft when it comes to the carriers by saying you, you can't turn us off because if I do the math on, uh, you know, you're shipping like 30,000 things a day, which is pretty material, right?
0: Yeah. And I mean, and over the last couple of weeks, it's uh, a lot more than that. Um, yeah. and spikes up to double, triple. Yeah. And, you know, of course, so our leadership is talking to their leadership all the time. And, and like you said, with growing, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll double again next year. And so they want to, they want to continue to get that business. Um, and so that just, I'd say, puts us in a, a favorable spot.
2: Absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, the the reason we're recording this Monday morning is you are giving our listeners a little bit of an early taste of what's coming out here. Um, so so walk us through what you're going to be revealing here on December seventh uh, with the data.
0: Yeah. So and and I appreciate your um, you guys wanting to sh- share this out there and um, how you guys love re- refreshing the carriers' data like you um, and also like my six year old. Um, big fan of the, the gif at the top as well. Um, I remember he saw that. He's like, I want that what are those cool trucks? I want that thing. Um, and so yes, I'm, I'm happy to share what the, the latest and greatest numbers are that we're seeing this week. Um, I do want to give a caveat though, something that the three of us briefly discussed before we jump up, jumped on, which I think is a, a pretty serious issue that not everybody's familiar with. Um, and that's, uh, that's on the carrier scans. And so at each point within the supply chain, um, your, you know, your supply chain vendors, whether that's your 3PL, um, because we scan the orders throughout several points in the process on our end to when we put it, let's say, into a Gaylord to get picked up. And you can view Gaylord just as this you know massive bucket, if you will, get picked up by the carrier's when the carriers pick it up from our facilities, they're supposed to scan it. And as it goes through different sort facilities, or I should say, uh, every single office, they're supposed to scan and then scan once it gets to your house. And so um, something that a lot of people have seen, and I'm sure a lot of everybody listening who we're all consumers have seen as well is um, there's no tracking on my order, or hey, my order hasn't even been shipped yet. But That's not necessarily the case. And so again, just wanted to caveat some that there have been some, you know, The the carrier scan issues and especially first scan, um, the numbers there have dropped significantly uh, since around Black Friday. Um, And so, again, we're we're cleaning up some of the data on our end, but it's just been interesting to see that. I know my wife was stressing out because she's like, I ordered your gift a while ago. They haven't even picked it yet. And then the next day it was delivered. Um, (laughs) And so, yes, well... Just, um, they're trying to move orders, not necessarily scan all the time. So that being said, yeah, I'm I'm happy to walk through the data and and tell you what we're seeing this week.
2: Yeah. So feel free to, um, I forget the sequence on the page, but you know, there's like, obviously I think the big four are FedEx, UPS, the U S postal service and DHL. What, where are we seeing for this last week?
0: Yeah. So we can start, actually I'll start, um, I'll start at the bottom and so we'll start with USPS, um, and we're actually seeing them at around 4.15 um, 4. Um, days. And that's from order picked date to delivery date. And that's up from about 3.5. Um, that is a 20% week over week jump. Um, and again, this is, I mentioned some of the carrier scan information. Um, and so, you know, that's a, that's a pretty significant jump. It's uh, almost 65 percent uh, above what their pre-COVID um, transit times were, um, and again, these are these are an aggregate. Like we mentioned, you know, we'll do, you know, we're doing well over a million orders over the last, you know, Black Friday Cyber Monday weeks. Um, so this is some some pretty strong volume that we're basing this off of. But this is across um, all different zones, and so we could, of course, get more granular there, but want to provide the aggregate data. And so a pretty significant jump. Um, I foresee that holding for at least probably another week. Um, just because a lot of these, these carriers are, are very stressed, um, and stretched. And so on DHL, um, it actually did not jump, um, as much as expected. Um, it actually just jumped from about 1% week over week, um, and which which actually was pretty surprising to me, which is still about thirty percent above the time in transit. Um, the UPS data we're still cleaning up, and so actually I can follow up with you guys shortly after that. And I'd say the biggest jump and the most surprising, and, and maybe this is because they're often rather rather diligent on the on the scan tracking, would be FedEx. And so they they course corrected very well after COVID. There was there were about a three month span where they were. Um, shipping well over their their pre-COVID levels. And then it was really about August where they started getting back to um, the pre-COVID shipping, the shipping times. And then um, because they were hiring like crazy, just like us, just like Amazon, um, just like Walmart, um, they were actually able to get it um, pretty significantly below their pre-COVID shipping levels. And then this last week, it just spiked like crazy. And so it went from Less than a three-day average transit time to 3.6, um, which is which is a huge jump week over week. And so I'd say FedEx definitely had the biggest jump. Um, you know, I have a lot of confidence in how they execute, and they'll be able to get things back to normal. But they definitely saw the biggest jump. What what percentage jump is that? Um, I think that's like a close to 25% week over week jump. 25%. Okay. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and then uh, you know another thing that's interesting is if you refuse packages, that's one way of, you know, not that they they're doing that for you, but overall their network, that's one way of mitigating this, right? Is and that's what we're hearing about in the press. Is you know, so so that's that's going on somewhere, which which is interesting to think about as well. Have, have they they haven't refused any packages from you guys, have they?
0: Um, no, we've been we've been uh, pretty clear so far. Another thing that we have as well is, um, in both the greater Chicago and greater Dallas region, we have multiple fulfillment centers. And so not only can we move inventory, let's say between, you know, Chicago and Dallas, uh, to help with transit time, but we can move them within Chicago and within Dallas, um, just to take advantage of, you know, the different limits that we might have within specific facilities.
2: Yeah. So let me just replay that for listeners. So, so a carrier may say to you, man, we're just maxed out in Chicago, um, you say, okay, we're going to run our own 18 wheelers between Chicago and Dallas and and load balance kind of within your system to react to the externalities of the other systems. Is that is that what you're saying?
0: Well, I'm saying even more granular. They might say that you, your building is maxed out and then you can move it from one Chicago building to another Chicago building.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. It doesn't make a ton of sense but i guess in their world it does th- th- yeah. and uh, you know yeah and and for listeners that haven't been in a big fulfillment center you know um usually there's just 18 wheelers parked outside so the big carriers will just park those right out there and then when they're full they'll drive off is that is that kind of what what's going on here
0: yeah we've got in, in most of our facilities i want to say 20 to 30 plus dock doors and they just you know we've got dedicated lines on each of the major carriers and we're just yeah, f- filling those things up all day every day.
2: Interesting, cool. And then um, within that FedEx three point six, uh, a lot of people not, may not know, but FedEx is actually several systems. That the two that are the probably most relevant are the air and the ground. Do you guys break that out? Is this like mostly in ground? So this is all ground. Or? That's all ground. Okay.
0: All right. And, and that's a big thing that a lot of people don't realize as well. Is they're like, well, um, you know, how can I offer two day or fast shipping? And they'll often look at air. Anybody can ship from one location, you know, two to three days or less via air. It's just exponentially more expensive. And that's why, you know, you want to get closer to the end consumer and, and you offset that with air to the places you can't get to via ground and and do as much ground as possible.
2: Okay. Anything else on FedEx or should we jump to UPS? Um,
0: we can, we can jump.
2: All right. Hit us with UPS. How are they doing?
0: So, oh, the, the UPS one is the, is the last one that I'll, I can share with you guys after. So, still waiting on some of the UPS data.
2: Well, they—the uh, the reason that one's interesting is if I remember, if I go to my and I try not to um, get stuck on the GIF. Um, when I look at the last data you guys dropped, um, they were feeling the pain, right? So they were at like 4.5 days, and they had been, you know, up and to the right on on the delays. Do you any anything directional? You think they're they've got some relief, or I think they've got some, some relief. Pain?
0: I think they've been okay. doing they've been doing a bit better.
2: Yeah. And, you know, my, you know, again, just watching the data here, um, it feels like they've been the most aggressive at kind of saying, Hey, we're we're kind of maxed out. Don't give us any more packages right now, which which could be that that's how you get some relief on this is you, you have to increase the number of deliveries and the throughput and and stop taking in as much stuff to, to give the system time to, to catch up.
0: Well, that's a, that's a great call out. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's where we've been fortunate um and uh, our our customers and their customers fortunate, is um if we haven't been hit by limits then they're able to ship out you know s- more similarly than they did pre you know peak season um because they are limiting these these major brands they're limiting Nike they're limiting Gap they're limiting Macy's they're li- they're limiting small businesses that are shipping on their own all the time there's just you know i I feel for a lot of these brands there's some pretty bad horror stories um i know this um uh this company house has been pretty public with it where they're just getting slapped with limits of you know 500 orders a day at the most um and if not you have to go take things to you know the post office yourself and so it's um it's been tough for a lot of companies
2: yeah, and ultimately it's a bad customer experience, right? So um, the shippers get to say. So let's use the House example because they've been so public. the The shippers get to say, "Well, it wasn't our fault. We didn't ruin Christmas." Um, but House still has upset customers, right? And you know, the customer's expectation is: I I press the you know the checkout button, and I don't I don't really care whose problem right. it is. You it's your you know, Mister Brand. It's your job to get me my my product. And so it's going to be really frustrating these brands that you know they they. You know, to be DTC, part of your DNA has to be super customer centricity, and then to not be able to get your product to people is got to be just like you know wildly frustrating. So I, I feel that pain, and and uh, you yeah, uh, know, I'm I'm glad companies like you guys uh, are are able to have a solution for small brands to solve this because you know sometimes you can use FBA for this kind of thing, but Amazon hasn't really done a ton around off Amazon FBA because they obviously pref- you know. Uh, apply a preferential treatment to their in-network kind of stuff so um i think it's great that we're seeing and, and you know to be clear there's a lot of you guys have a lot of competitors out there i think it's great we're seeing these kind of independent fulfillment center networks that have an fba kind of a flavor there is this whole 3pl thing but it's generally not designed the way you guys are that's friendly for smaller direct to consumer type businesses so so i think i think it's it's going to be a really interesting trend over time uh, that businesses like yours are able to, to solve a pretty material problem out there.
0: Well, it's, you know, you mentioned Amazon, I'll get back to them in one sec. Um, it, and also just like the customers and their empathy levels, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. You know, of course, 2020 has been an interesting year to say the least, there was not a lot of empathy for, I think, I think different companies uh, at the start of COVID then things kind of, it's like, all right, this is the new normal. But just how people, um, I'd say, act around the holidays, which is often just a stressful time in general. And then, you know, for for many out there, Christmas is really the deadline of trying to get gifts or I should say maybe even Christmas Eve uh, to get things under the tree. Um, I ordered this was when was this? I think this was Thursday or Friday. I ordered the typical silver iPad as a gift for somebody. And um, this is Apple. I don't know what they're at right now, $1.5 trillion valuation or mark cap, I should say. Um, and it, it told me that it wasn't going to get here until January 5th. This was just your run of the mill silver iPad. It was probably, it's got to be one of their top five, top 10 most sold items. Um, and it was over a month before it was going to get to my house. Um, and so, you know, a lot of other people are are feeling this strain. Um And then even Amazon, I mean, Amazon's incentivizing people with, with slow shipping. Um, And even if you order some rather common goods, you know, even on Prime, it's still showing five, six day delivery speeds.
1: I do want to differentiate a couple of things, and I don't know this to be the case, but my suspicion is Apple's biggest problem, which we've heard from a number of people that like popular Apple products have very long uh, delivery times right now, which are beyond Christmas. the likelihood is a significant portion of their their problem is inventory, not just carrier capacity
0: I, I i don't doubt that it's inventory um but and who am i to give any suggestions to Apple and how they run their business um but they don't give you there's no there's no i would say transparency or communication back to the to the customer that it might be an inventory issue um i know some of our merchants that have, I'd say done, done best. And they're obviously a lot smaller than Apple, but then have done best, you know, this year, they've just been very transparent in what's going on in their operations and what's happening in their business, or maybe things are sold out. um, And they're using that to their benefit. Um, But, you know, at least to the end consumer, that's not, you know, reading the general, or I should say like the deeper news on Apple, you know, they didn't mention anything like an inventory issue. It's like, we've got this, um, order it now and then you pay and then it tells you.
1: Uh so a, <laughs> a a clear best practice that I know you'd agree with is um like surprises are absolutely the worst thing you can do to the customer, right? So you you need you want to communicate this when when why get it information early in the shopping process, not after they've entered a bunch of their payment information. And then you go, oh by the way, when you click confirm, uh this isn't going to get here in time for Christmas. So, like that's the absolute worst thing you can do. Um, And a lot of sellers leave a lot of opportunity on the table by not being transparent and not having good communication. So per your point, if for whatever good or bad reason, Apple has a bunch of 256 meg uh, or gig iPads in stock, but not 512s, and you're ordering a 512 and it's going to miss Christmas, early in that that shopping funnel, you want to tell that customer, by the way, if you're willing to accept a different memory configuration, we can make it for Christmas, right? Not just surprise them at the end of their cart um, by telling them you can't. Uh, I would say that there are inventory issues this year. Like because of COVID, it disrupted a lot of supply chains nine months ago that we pay the price for now. Brands got conservative about their sell-through when they weren't sure what COVID was going to do to demand. And then there are categories that Apple plays in a lot, for example, where um, there was just unanticipated demand. Like, nobody forecasted in March that the majority of kids in America would be doing school from home and therefore need more technology at home, right? Um, So all of those things play into it. Uh, And obviously, the shipping is a very real problem. But, Casey, I do want to talk uh, for a minute about the, the shippers that are denying packages. So let me tell you my understanding and see if this jives with yours. A, I feel like there's two big buckets. There are very big shippers for which this is not remotely a surprise. Like, they, they, uh, they had a conversation. The carriers had a conversation with these very big shippers like Nike back in June and said, hey, what kind of capacity are you guys looking to to allocate for holiday? And they negotiated a capacity. And the only thing that's different about this year than previous years is in previous years, what the carriers would say is, and if you end up selling more and ship more than your negotiated capacity, you're going to pay a surcharge. So those incremental shipping uh, parcels will be more expensive. And this year they're saying... If you ship more than your allocated capacity, we might not be able to accept the packages because we're we're worried about our overall capacity. So so I just want to say for the the Nike's and Gap's of the world, they knew exactly how many orders they could take and how many shipments they could they could make. Um maybe they hoped that the, those those capacities wouldn't be enforced, but they they weren't surprised at the last minute by UPS going. By the way, we're not going to come by your office today.
0: Um I I'd say they were probably pretty accurate in their assumptions. Um, how many things, how many items were actually sold? I know they have smart teams and smart data scientists doing the forecasting. Um, I know that we pretty far exceeded our aggressive forecasts of shipments. Um, let's say over the last two weeks. And I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, the Nikes of the world, you know, Nikes continuing to massively accelerate their e-commerce growth. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if they underestimated um, and underestimated from different locations. Um, and then also, there's one thing to be told that, hey, we're not going to pick things up. And you've heard this before, and they've always picked it up. It's another thing for them to like not actually come and pick it up. And so I think that that's something that a lot of these big brands, especially these big brands that are not used to being told no, um are actually seeing
1: yeah i i would totally agree with that and then i would you also alluded to one other thing which i think is a funny loophole in this whole thing the carriers are not in the business of denying packages <laughs> so they don't actually like that they don't actually have a great infrastructure for enforcing these quotas so so for example if you're a huge shipper and you deliver you know a uh, a container full of packages to a to a a, a carrier distribution center they don't scan every parcel on that truck before they unload the truck. They they unload the truck, and then they they disposition all those parcels over time, right? Um, and so they actually don't have, my sense is they don't have software that uh, says like, oh, deny that box, don't accept it. What, what they do is they say, oh, you know what? This shipper has exceeded their quota. We're not going to send a truck to that that fulfillment center to pick up their orders today. And so that that's their mechanism for denying it. And so frankly, a ton of big and small shippers I have heard of have bypassed this whole thing by dropping the packages off somewhere else in the in the carrier supply chain. So per your point, you you get a pickup canceled at one fulfillment center, you move the packages to the other fulfillment center, or you drive the the packages to a FedEx distribution center and drop them off or even to a, a local FedEx office in some cases and drop them off. And there's there's not someone in that store that like scans your shipper code and goes, oh, I can't accept this package. So that I think that is a funny way people are are bypassing some of these quotas for this year for for better. Or worse. And
0: also trying to bypass because another thing that is completely maxed out are trucks like go try to rent a truck in any major city and you're not going to be able to. Um, you know, there have been pictures of, of Amazon employees just delivering stuff from their car. Um, but it's it's just pretty fascinating the creativity that um, different brands are employing. And again, that's just another part of the supply chain. Like, go try to run a big truck. You can't.
2: Cool. Yeah, we've uh, we've been reporting on that on the again side. And uh, as a guy that has 200 trucks right now, uh, it, it's uh, feels good that we we have what we have. <laughs> Um, that's, but that's a podcast (laughs) for another story, uh, another day. Um, so, so really appreciate you walking us through kind of the tactical where we are right now. I want to use our last kind of 10 minutes here to, to kind of go back up to 30,000 square feet and get out of kind of the COVID world and what we're experiencing. Um, let's talk about, uh, this, this is probably a quick one though. Um, so, so I think you have a neat perspective coming from big commerce and then now being at ShipBob. Shopify is doing some things around, um, you know, fulfillment and whatnot. I, I haven't, I have to be honest, I haven't tracked it a hundred percent. My understanding is they may have one or two fulfillment centers and then, then, you know, kind of trying to overlay something on top of stuff. Do you see a day where they'll get more involved in, in either the fulfillment center side or even last mile delivery?
0: I mean, they are involved in the fulfillment center side. Um, last mile, I'm I'm not the right person to ask there. I mean, that's like a whole nother beast. I mean, Amazon's been a logistics company forever. And, you know, they started getting in the last mile just a couple of years ago. And so, you know, my my guess is they'll continue to try to understand the fulfillment center side better. And, you know, as they learn that more, you know, maybe continue to expand. I think that their, uh, their CEO and, leadership team definitely think long-term. So, you know, who, who knows what they'll eventually roll out.
2: It's hard to be a, uh, you know, a, a high margin software company and then say to Wall Street, we're going to open, you know, 80 fulfillment centers. <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's just a, <laughs> if you started fulfillment centers, then then that's one thing. And, and you kind of go from low margin to high margin. It's very hard to go from high margin to low margin. Um, companies have done it, but this is a reason you haven't seen Google or eBay take that plunge as they've They've kind of got their business model pretty baked and it's hard to mix in a a lower margin, you know, asset heavy type thing into a asset light model. So it's going to be interesting to see if they they ultimately do that or not.
0: Yeah. I mean, Google launched the perfect business model with insane margins. So it's tough for them to to change that. Amazon, on the other hand, you know, going from uh, shipping books to AWS, it's uh, it's a nice story to tell. Exactly.
1: To selling ads. Exactly.
0: Yes. To selling ads.
1: Turns out the Google business model is better for everyone. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious. In the past, there are a bunch of sellers that maybe primarily relied on Amazon for demand, um, and so they they primarily used Amazon for fulfillment. And you alluded to you know uh, in our current craziness, even Amazon is having to make hard decisions about fulfillment priorities. Uh, it seems like more than than there has been in in recent times. There's a smart argument to having a, a diversification of your supply chain and your shipping options. Are, are you seeing a lot of new people come into your ecosystem and want to add you to their mix because they were single sourced on FBA and now realize that's not the best place to be? We
0: definitely are. And I think it's also, I think that's going to take, honestly, several years to fully play out or longer because somebody who makes a, you know, who runs their business on Amazon versus somebody who, you know, runs their business on their own site or on their own site and then a marketplace like Amazon is complementary. It's just a very different business and it's a different skill set you have to learn over time. And so, you know, we are a, a complement to Amazon. We are a partner with Amazon, um, but I think that some of the things that have happened this year, such as Amazon limiting um, what you can uh, what they will receive multiple times, um, Amazon limiting what you can ship out. Uh, a friend of mine, he's a ten million dollar plus a year seller on Amazon. He's been selling on Amazon for well over a decade. Um, he was getting told, um, he was getting told that they can't ship certain items of his. This is like early COVID. Um, they could ship like let's just say widget A, the black widget. They could ship that, but widget um, Widget B, which was just like the, the white color, they couldn't ship that out. And you know, it was just like there was there was no rhyme or reason. There was nobody to talk to on the other end. It was just this is the the law. Um, and so we've just seen that play out a few times again from the types of inventory that you can receive. They've been turning away product um, at their fulfillment centers, and then you know brands are just left scrambling with no idea what to do. They're not supply chain experts. Um, and even, um, you know, they've, they've always increased their warehousing costs during Q4, but just seeing these, these surcharges and their rules. And because they're running such a massive supply chain and a massive organization, they have to make these changes. And I know they've been hiring like crazy to not have to make things too difficult. Uh, but just when, when they make a change, that's the rule. And there's, you know, there's, there's no gray area. There's no wiggle room.
2: Yeah. It's, um. Uh, it's interesting you say Amazon's a partner. I think a lot of people that aren't as in the weeds as we, we are, the, the three of us, they, they kind of scratch their heads because you know, they, they have this middle image of this kind of hierarchy of things. And it's actually more of kind of this overlapping graph, right? So- So for example, what I imagine you're saying is um, if I'm a merchant and I have my product at ShipBob, um, you guys probably are able to have that um, marked as prime using the program. Uh, They've changed the name of this like a thousand times. I call it merchant fulfilled prime. Um, Sometimes they call it seller fulfilled prime, whichever one you want to call it. Um, Is that, do you guys, are you guys, is that uh, something that that is part of what you do?
0: So we do fulfillment by merchant for FBM. Yeah, that's the new name. (laughs) Yeah, how they're going to, it's going to be interesting to see how Amazon takes seller fulfilled prime over time, because, you know, they've been somewhat opaque with this. But, um, you know, reading between the lines, I wouldn't be surprised if that changes considerably in 2021.
2: Yeah, because it's hard for everyone to live up to the prime promise, right? So what they're doing is they're kind of trying to extend the rings of the prime promise. And you guys can live up to that because you're, you're, at a big scale of, you know, would you say 12 or 14 fulfillment centers? Um, If I'm Joe Schmo and my garage is my fulfillment center, um, it's increasingly hard for me to live up to that prime promise. So there's this balance between flexibility out on the edge of the network, but then living up to the prime promise.
0: Exactly. And I mean, and that's what they're known for. Amazon, Amazon prime and you know, they've, they did an amazing job. Two day shipping is, you know, they've made um, a thing. And then they were really pushing towards, Uh, One day uh, at the beginning of the year.
2: And in this FBM program, um, that's the one that's set up for more like 3PLs to offer prime, uh, prime eligible products. Is that, is that right?
0: Prime or non-prime, but yes.
2: Yeah. Okay. So prime or non-prime. So the user, um, you can then, your customer can say, all right, I want these SKUs to be marked as prime within even going down to the zone kind of thing. But these, I don't really want to be prime. Is Is that how it works?
0: Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good summary right there. Okay, and then um,
2: uh, last question. So so one theory I have is Amazon's kind of shown that you can go build a last mile delivery network, right? And you know, so what is it like three years old, two and a half years old? Doesn't feel like it's that old to me. Um, so so with their their DSP program, they've really scaled up this this very quickly. Do you see? Is that something you guys would be interested in, or do you see other people building a? DSP like last mile delivery because that you know the one thing ship again has taught me is there there's way more things that want to get to consumers than there are trucks on the road right now
0: <laughs> we currently don't have plans to get into last mile again you know we're thinking uh, long term as well and so uh, things could change over time uh, that's not on the ship roadmap for 2021 um, I don't see that on the roadmap for 2022. Uh, but, you know, who knows? For for us, it's really like, how do we democratize fulfillment for brands of all sizes? And so, you know, going deeper into what we can ship to new fulfillment centers, to Kitting, to B2B, more international, uh, our app store. Um, but yeah, last mile and actually running like a carrier service, that's, you know, uh, it's quite a bit of a different business.
2: Yeah, one one stopgap in there is we we also over on the side, we've developed, you know, all these interesting three sided marketplaces uh, largely for delivering food or people, um, but those can also be used for delivering products. So we've seen Instacart, for example, known for groceries now working with I think it was Jason fact check me was it Sephora or Ulta, one of those and, and a bunch of other
1: uh, Sephora for sure, but actually dozens of retailers they're doing last mile for now.
2: Yeah. And you could, you could see, I've heard Uber and Lyft talk about this. Uh, I was watching the DoorDash IPO thing and they talked about, you know, they, they were pretty plainly saying food is just one of many, if we can get ice cream to you, we can get you anything. Um, do, you, do you see a world where maybe those guys slot in and they could be this last mile delivery network?
0: They could, I think they need to figure out like the sortation or distribution center side of the business because let's take, you know, those, any of the companies you mentioned or like um, Uber uh, a company like us, we want to, you know, fill up an entire truck and then send the truck off and then have them, you know, back in another truck. We don't want a bunch of sedans coming in and picking up five boxes. Um, and, and so it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that. Cause I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity there, but again, they need to figure out how they are sorting these packages and tracking these packages um, and then also doing it in a cost-effective manner as well, because sometimes you know they'll try to enter the market because on paper it looks great um, and it works in their Excel models. But then when they roll it out, there's just it's, it can be a logistical nightmare at times, and then also like it's it can be cost prohibitive to them because it's it's involving people and people are expensive and there's a lot of room for error. Um, and and then what they want to charge, maybe a company like ShipBob is just much more expensive uh, what we'll, we can pay the regular carriers and it's not necessarily even more effective or faster. And so if it's not faster and cheaper, I mean, yeah, if it's not faster and cheaper then you know, why would we evaluate it?
1: That makes total sense, Casey. And that's probably going to be a good place to leave it because it has happened again. We've used up all our allotted time for today's show. Uh, really appreciate you taking time out early in the morning on what I know is a super busy day for you, but, uh, I feel like, uh, uh, Scott and I and our listeners benefited greatly from the chat. Uh, so as usual, if uh, folks have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or our Facebook page. As always, uh, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review.
2: Thanks, Casey. If folks um, want to find – obviously, we've talked about the shipBob, but um, – Do you pontificate out on the interwebs? And if so, where should folks go to read your pontifications?
0: Yeah, if you have any questions for me, you can always hit me up, carmstrong at shipbob.com. I'm on uh, Twitter as well, KCA. And uh, like Jason and Scott mentioned, go uh, give them a five-star.
1: Awesome. I really appreciate that. And until next time, happy commercing.